Lord speaking. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and courageous, verse 6 says. Lord, give us open ears this morning to hear and receive what you have for us. God, make the word come alive. Give us faith to believe. And give us strength and courage to walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we're continuing our study in the book of Joshua, some might even say that, you know, I expected a Memorial Day message this morning, and, and this is a Memorial Day message. Memorial Day originally began... Uh, it was called Decoration Day. It started in 1868. There was a proclamation given to decorate the graves of fallen Civil War soldiers. And for, for many years, up until really World War I, it was, it was about remembering the Civil War. Um, and actually, up until World War I, the South didn't really celebrate Decoration Day. They, they celebrated their own, own day. But there was a proclamation, and, and they would just decorate the gravestones of fallen soldiers to remember them, to give them honor. And then it became Memorial Day, as we talked about just a minute ago. Um, and another, in addition to Memorial Day, the whole day, the, the last Monday of the month of May, National Moment of Remembrance Day it was started in 2000 at 3 p.m. to commemorate, stop, and take a moment of remembrance. Um, so why do we do this? Why do we have a National Day of Remembrance? Why do we spend time in saying, let's, let's remember? Why do we have the statements there? What happened after 9-11? What's the statement that we use after 9-11? We will never forget. Why? It's so important for us to remember. It's important that we would never, ever forget those who sacrificed and especially what they sacrificed for. It's, it's what they sacrificed for that is so important. Not just the sacrifice that they made, because it's not about, they wouldn't even, those who've gone before wouldn't want us to build a memorial for them, but for what they fought for, what they believed in. And for this as a nation, it's the, the, the principles of freedom and what this country originally was founded on, which is going away too fast. And I believe Christians and people need to stand back up and begin to step up and say, no, we're not going to let this country go the way that, that God never intended it, nor the founding fathers, nor all those who fought for this country. It's important that we take time tomorrow to remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice, who died for this country, who, who died so that people, ridiculous people, can dance on the flag, which burns me with so much anger. But they died for a freedom to express their beliefs and their disagreements. People who died, and tomorrow we remember those who are willing to give it all to protect us. And we, in my life, have never been threatened on our homeland. Sometimes I think it would be better if we were, because we get so comfortable. 
When there was a time, I mean, sure, sure in my lifetime, we, we thought maybe the nuclear missiles would come. And there was some times that it was, it was getting kind of heated. And, and I thought, wow, could we go into a nuclear war? But we haven't had a lot of threats to this nation. And maybe it would be better if we, we did and understood how great we have it here. So that's what, we, that's what we celebrate and do tomorrow. But today, as we celebrated the Lord and worshiped this morning, today we're going to remember why Christ died. He died, He gave it all, and I believe that we see the reason He died for us right in the book of Joshua. So this is a great Memorial Day message. We're going to remember why did Jesus come? Why did God do what He did, bringing us out of Egypt into the promised land? Why did He bring the prophets? Why did He bring the Christ child? Christ came so that we could fully and truly enter into the promised land. And that's what the book of Joshua is about. Remember we, last week we talked about it. They're poised. They're, they're, they're right about to go in. And God re confirms again to Moses, Moses, you don't get to go in. Joshua's going. He's going to take the children of Israel in. And he prepares in the book of Deuteronomy. He goes over and rehearses the whole law. And then Moses dies. The beginning of Joshua is, is the Lord talking to Joshua, saying, be strong and courageous. And that's what he says to us today. So this is the promised land for Joshua, ready to go in. So what is the promised land? You ever read that and say, well, what's, okay, I understand what the promised land in Joshua is, was the same land that was promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to bring you to a land. You're going to be a foreigner. You're going to be a stranger, but you will always possess the land. It was the promised land, and they're about to, to go and, and take what God had promised to, to Abraham. So for us, though, when we think the promised land, what is the promised land? Is it heaven? Well, I think yes and no. See, in the Bible, many things represent more than just one thing. In the promised land, Canaan in the Bible doesn't just represent heaven. So the Israelites were in Egypt, which is a type of the world. They were in bondage. They were in the world. And they came out of the world. They came out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so Egypt in the Bible represents the world. And the promised land, yes, it does represent heaven on a level, but I believe it can represent more than one thing. How long, what happened with the, kid, the children of Israel in Egypt? They stayed there. They couldn't leave until the angel of death came through and the blood of the lamb was covering the houses. They couldn't, they couldn't leave the world until the blood of the lamb covered their house. We were in the world. We were in bondage until the exact same thing happened, until the blood of Christ came and covered my life, until it covered our family. And so they were saved by the blood. They left Egypt. They left the world. By faith and obedience, they got to enter the promised land. And that's what the book of Joshua is about. By their faith and obedience in God, the promised land would be theirs forever. But it wasn't. Right? They come into the promised land, and, and it, it's not quite as good as they thought. The land is good, and they take it, but then things begin to happen. They don't utterly destroy all of the inhabitants, and so they become a snare to them. And we'll see, you see that as you read the scriptures. And then, then they still have war, and then they still have people running off to other gods. And then eventually they get taken captive, and they get taken to Babylon, and they leave their, their promised land altogether. And so the promised land isn't a perfect picture of heaven because that will never happen to us in heaven. 
When we finally get to heaven, we won't be removed. We won't be in fear that the Babylonians might come in and take us and, and, or, or that we'll get kicked out. We won't have any fear that we might run off to other gods. And so the promised land in the Bible is not a perfect picture of heaven, but it's a type of heaven because it, it's the land that he's promising, promising us. But th there's another type of what the promised land is, and that's, that, that's the Christian walk. The promised land is a type of the Christian walk that we have as we come out of the world and the blood of Christ covers our life, we enter into immediately the promised land. We don't, we don't wait, we immediately have salvation, the blood of Christ. We have hope and peace. Someday we'll go to heaven and we'll be our forever home. Heaven, I can't, I can't wait to get to heaven. But until then, we have to walk in the promised land of our Christian life. And you go, this is the promised land? Well, yeah, on a level, just like it was for the Israelites. Yes, they came in, and yet they still had to plant gardens, and they still had to work, and they had to battle in their own promised land. So the Christian walk is a type of our promised land. Even when God had promised to Abraham in Genesis to give him, it said, an everlasting possession. The Bible said that he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country. Foreign? It was his. How can it be foreign? If it's been given to you, are you a foreigner in it? Well, you are if it's not the final resting place. You're still a foreigner. We're still foreigners in this land because this isn't our final place. In, in, the, in, in Hebrews it says, he was a foreigner and a, stranger and a stranger in this land. But one verse later it says, in verse 10, it says, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Even Abraham, who was promised the promised land, that's why it's the promised land, because it was promised to Abraham, even though Abraham was wandering around, he was still a stranger in it, and he was waiting for the city whose foundations were made and whose maker was God. Though he was promised Canaan, he was promised the land, he knew that that wasn't his final home either. And he waited to go and be with God forever in heaven. So as we're walking through our promised land, and, and, and I love Big Bear, but I don't think it's Big Bear. You know, Big Bear is a pretty nice place, and you can probably imagine, you know, right now Josh and Sarah Hastings are in Hawaii. I don't know if you've been following them, and they keep putting pictures up, and I'm like, wow, it's beautiful there. In fact, you know, Sarah said, oh, the, the yard sale, I'm, you know, I, I miss not being there this year, and I said, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> because we know that she doesn't miss being at the yard sale. But I mean, you know, the, I mean, Hawaii, I've never been there, but I've seen the pictures. It's a beautiful place. Imagine the best place that you've, you've been in Denny's new, new place in, in Idaho. It's, it's just beautiful. We can, you know, you've been and we've seen pictures and you go, that's still not home. That's not the promised land. In fact, who's ever thought that they found the promised land, and it could have been Big Bear, until you got there? <laughs> and you lived there for a month or two or six. And you went, that's, this isn't as good as I thought. Because it's not about, the promised land isn't a land except heaven. The promised land is really almost a state of being that the Christian lives in. It's, it's where we are positionally in Christ that we walk and we understand the promises of God. 
When we're saved by the blood of Jesus, just like the Israelites were, we enter into eternal life. And right then, our eternal, eternal inheritance in Christ begins. The moment that you're saved, your inheritance in Christ begins. And we're truly under the blood of Christ. But the, in the journey, God calls us to faith. Just like he did to the Israelites. Remember in Deuteronomy, we went over that. He, he, what, you've got to be obedient in order to enter into the promised land. He calls us to faith and he calls us to obedience. Yet, we're already saved and we're under the blood of Jesus Christ. He calls us to look to him, to rely on him, just like he tried to help the Israelites understand, listen, it's not you who's going to do it. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to conquer all your foes. But you have to be obedient to do it. He calls us to obedience in the journey. Is the promised land always ours? Absolutely. We never lose the, lose the promised land. We come to Christ and it's ours. We might have a battle. We might even be dispossessed for a time and not walking in everything that God has for us on this earth. But we're always saved. He doesn't take that back. The children of Israel were taken right into captivity, but God would bring them back. Even national Israel. Some of you, some of you in this room, and I won't, are old enough to remember when Israel became a nation again in 1948. Who would have thought that a people who had not had a nation, who were dispossessed and scattered throughout the world, could be brought together and, and, and create a nation once again? Only in God. National Israel comes back together after the persecution and after the horrific things in World War II and they found the nation of Israel and people from all over the world, the Jews all over the world begin to come back and God restored their promised land. Yet it's still the temporary promised land. They, I believe with, with Abraham, there's more. They're still waiting for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And you know, we are too. We're waiting for something more than this. This is not it. There's got to be something more than this world. Doesn't there? You know, those who have no hope, who don't have Christ, who don't have a, a hope that there is a heaven waiting for us, they're to be pitied. Not like, oh, goodness, I, I could not live my life without any hope that this world is not all there is because there's enough pain and sorrow in this life to think, goodness, is this all there really is, Lord? No. No, there's a promised land that is waiting for us, and we're looking forward to that forever home, to the final place where we'll have absolute peace. We won't have any more tears. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more pain. There'll be no more tax bills. There'll be... <sighs> our forever home. You know, that, that term it gained new significance when Shannon and I were going through the adoption process and going through the, the, we had to become foster parents before we could be, be placed and we still haven't been placed and we've put that in God's hands too. But we learned about the forever home. And, you know, 
the goal with, uh, to getting a foster child is to get them in their forever home. And until a child is in their forever home, they'll be restless. There'll be difficulties. In fact, they've, the, the government has actually figured this out. Those who, who, who know in the past, when a family was fostering children, sometimes they would want to adopt that child. But they were receiving a little bit of assistance from the government to foster them, and if they adopted them, the government would take away their assistance. And so there has been good, loving families in the past that wouldn't adopt a child because they, they, they couldn't really afford to. And so that's changed now. When you're, if you're fostering a child and, and that child is actually adoptable, if you adopt them, they continue to support you. They continue to give, give money. Why? Because until a child really feels like they're in their forever home, they feel lost. They're, they're a little angry. They're displaced. And they can live in a foster home for their whole life and still not feel like they're part of it. Because there's something in us that says, I want to be in my forever home. And nobody's going to take me out of my forever home. That's where we're wait, what we're waiting for. We're waiting for our forever home. Heaven someday, we, we, we're restless here. We, we, we worry, we think, but someday we'll be in heaven forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally established and no one will ever take it away from us. First Peter chapter 1. But we're not in heaven, and we're not doing a series on heaven. We're talking about Joshua and the promised land of this earth. And I, again, I believe that the Christian life is a, a type of the promised land. And you go, well, how is that? Well, let me read some scriptures and tell you why I believe this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read all the way to 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inherit an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
You know, in this passage, we see both the looking forward to the day when we're finally in heaven, when we're, when we're there, but we also see the day that we're already receiving the end of our faith. It says that we're receiving it now, the salvation of our souls. We're walking in that. And in verse 8, it says that we have, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. How can we have joy inexpressible and be full of glory if we're not in the promised land of heaven? It's because Christ is in us, which means heaven is within us. And we have that joy now, not because everything goes well, because even right here before that, it says you might be going through trials and, and pain and difficulties. And yet we can walk in joy inexpressible and have full of hope and glory in life in the middle of the journey, sometimes right in the middle of the battle. Who's had any battles recently? praying for your children, work, finances, and you're in the middle of a battle, and in the middle of the battle, God can come in and give you joy and hope. Amen? Amen. So the promised land, as, we, as we're going to read through there, it's the story of Joshua going in and conquering with the people so that they're established, and yet they continue to battle, and it's never really quite done, just like our Christian walk. Who got saved and when they got saved felt such a burden lifted from them that they thought, I'm never going to have another worry again. I'm sure that was some of your testimonies going, so much was taken from me. I have so much hope and joy and peace right now that I don't think I'll ever have another worry again. How long did that last? <laughs> it, it came back. He says, why? Because we live in this world, even though we're not of this world, we still live in here and we still battle. And we, but we have those, those times where we, we, we're supposed to walk in that inexpressible joy, not because the battle's fun, but because our hope isn't here. And we've been translated spiritually to heaven and we're receiving it now, though it's not yet. And so here comes that, that phrase, eternity is now, but not yet. Heaven is now, but not yet. Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Who's ever had that in their life? Oh, thank you, Jesus. He wants to keep us in perfect peace. There's a, there's a, this is an if-then statement because he trusts in you. See, when we trust in Him, we find ourselves with the peace of God in the middle of the battles, though we're in the middle of the promised land. See how this, this works all the time with the Lord? It's, it's this, yet it's this. It's eternity is now, but not quite fully yet. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully revealed. We're saved and we're being saved, but we're not fully saved until we're fully in heaven because we still are in the battle. And yet, though we're here, we can have that perfect peace. It says the peace that passes understanding. People say, what's that peace? I believe peace that passes understanding is very simple. It's when you have peace and you absolutely shouldn't and you're not in denial. There's a difference between peace and denial. Peace is going, I know my circumstances, and they're not good. And you can even think about them. 
And you can be right in the middle of going, wow, I have no money to pay the bills or no way to, to pay the doctor or whatever it is and, and still go, wow, I have just I have peace. In fact, peace that, that peace that passes understanding, often when it comes upon you, it's surprising to you. You've probably, if you've had that peace, you've probably went, why do I have peace? And other people have gone to you and says, why do you have peace? Because it doesn't make any sense. Because when we accepted Christ, we were saved. And we entered into the promised land. And we have his hope and his peace and his joy, even though things aren't always worth having peace and joy over. So as Christians, we've left the world. We've left Egypt. We have the blood of the Lamb covering our lives. So death will pass us by and we'll live forever. And so we're walking in the promised land. And, 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 and this is where, where you can say, well, are we walking in the promised land or are we poised at the border looking to walk into the next thing that we have? And I, I, I just can't imagine the excitement of the, of the children of Israel sitting there going, that's our land. We're going to go get it finally. Forty years is a long time. And some of you have waited for years to enter into the things that maybe God has promised. And I want to I encourage you and say that God is not slow. He will bring His promises to fulfillment in your life if they're from God, if you're walking steadfastly in Him. I do believe that we have the ability to delay God's promises in our life. But He is faithful. And so the promised land has been given to us, but in a sense, we do have to possess it. We, we have to take hold of His promises in our life. You know, even when we say, well, how does that peace come? Yes, it's supernatural. But sometimes we have to quiet the thoughts. We have to quiet the enemy. The Bible says taking every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. So sometimes in order to get the peace that passes understanding, we got to get a control of our thoughts. We need to spend time in the Word and find ourselves being washed in the water of the Word of God. And we possess it. I want to read Joshua a little bit further. So we're walking, we're, as a people of God who are called by His name, we're saints of God, we're washed in the blood. I got to go back to Joshua's and Peter still. I was going, that doesn't look right. Who, who is this resonating with going, you know, I, I kind of get it. I feel like sometimes I'm in the promised land, yet I'm still having wars and, and I'm waiting. There's some things, though, that God is promising and he's promised and I, and I can see him, but I'm not there yet. If you can relate with this, then, then here we go. Here's verse 7 through 9 for us. Be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do all according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may, be pro that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Then you may observe to do everything that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, 
nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. God has got something for us as individuals, for, as, a, for a ch- as a church, as a community of believers in Big Bear, and I believe as a community of believers in this nation, God has something for us, and we need to be strong and courageous and look to Him and not swerve to the left or to the right when obeying His commands. We need to have His Word inside of us so that we know what He's saying to us so we're not taken off captive. When I read scriptures like this, I always hear strongs. And be bold and be strong. For the Lord thy God is with thee. Do not be afraid. No way. I hear these, right? There's an older, there's a, another song that says, and this is, this is them. They're getting ready to go in. And there was a song we used to sing. Let's go take this city. Let's go take this land. God has got something for us. And we need to go and possess what he's giving to us. So I'm saying that too quiet. I feel like my yell is going to be really loud, but I want to, I'm excited. God has got something for us, and we have to go in and possess what He's already given to us. Amen. He gave them the promised land, but they had to go in and possess it. And He told them, listen, you're going in there, but it's not you that's doing the fighting. Don't get cocky. Kind of like in the Star Wars movie, don't get cocky, kid. It's not about us, but we still have to walk in and take possession even though he's already given it to us. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. That's an important part of what God is telling us as the church. The United Methodist Church. This month, the council got together and the council voted... I believe it was 16 to 10, or maybe there was more. It was, it was, it was surprisingly uh, higher to go ahead and uh, repeal their, their doctrines and statements about ordaining homosexual clergy and doing wet, homosexual weddings. Now, this, is, now this was the, the United Methodist Council, not the National Council and not the International Council, but that was this month. They actually got together and they want to rewrite it. If I understand correctly, the people of the United Methodist Church have already voted them down. So the leadership wants to go ahead and do it, but, the, but the, a small majority, small, says no. Why? Because they've put this into practice. They've read the Word, and they know who their God is. See, when we go in to possess our possessions, it's important that we know our God and that we know what He says and that we're strong and we're courageous and we're willing to do what He calls us to do. Before the people of Israel went into the promised land, what did Moses do with them? He went over the law again. Deuteronomy means the second law, the giving of the law for the second time. Right before they go in, he says, wait, before you go in, You need to know what your foundation is. Your foundation is God. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And he goes over the law so that they know. Why? Because when they go into the land, there's going to be people who have differing opinions. And you have to know what God says so that you don't get swept aside with people with differing opinions. Sounds like America to me. 
See, the difference, and see, I'm a guy, so this kind of gets, this can be kind of exciting for me. You know, you, I, I like to blow things up. <laughs> you know, so the idea of Joshua going in is like, man, we're getting to go and conquer something. You know, Braveheart is, I love movies like Braveheart. I mean, it's just epic, and it's battle, and it's, you know, and I take my kids out, and we go shooting, and, you know, Zach this week was saying, can we take the old water heater from the church and pressurize it, you know, and then go shoot it? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, Corey, can we? Because <laughs> those things, they blow up if they're under pressure, and we're, we want to blow something up. And so Joshua's kind of fun because we're going to go in, and we're going to get them. But he has something for us to go in and, and get and to do. He wants us to go in and take possession. But before we can do that, he's saying, do you know the word of God? Do you know me? Are you trusting me? Are you going to obey me? Are, I'm telling you to be strong and courageous. See, he didn't say, I'm going to be strong for you. He says, you be strong, you be courageous, you trust in me. Because there's something that we have to be strong and lean on Him. He doesn't make us be strong. We have to trust Him. We can say, God, help me. It's even as the disciples prayed, it's kind of like, God, we believe, but help us with our unbelief. God, we want to trust you, but we need help. Meditate on the Word. Why do we need to do that? Because there's, they were a different people. The Israelites were a different people who were surrounded by another people. They were going to go into possess this land and the, the people where they were going in, they were pagan. They had many gods. They did things differently and God wanted, was telling the children, you need to know who I am. You need to know what I say. And you need to know that I am the only God. You can't go in there and say, okay, well, I have my God, and you can have your God, and we can coexist. Because that's not what the message was. And that's not what the message is today. Because there's more to this world than what we have. There's more to this world than what we see. Life is eternal and this is only a short portion of it. Love that Francis Chan video we showed in, in there. And it was a hundred yard long rope. And there was three inches at the end that was red. He says, we're focusing on this little three inch red section when it's a hundred yards of rope. And this is, this is earth and our life here and eternity is forever. Why can't we coexist? Well, if you mean, can I be nice to people? I can be nice to people. Can we agree on everything? Absolutely not. Because there's a real heaven and a real hell and a real eternity and a real Bible that is the word of God, not just the word of my God and you have a different God with a different word and we can all have our own gods. But that's what, that's what would have happened to the Israelites and that's what did happen to them. They found themselves, instead of worshiping the one true God, they found themselves worshiping at the astropoles and doing other things because they, they didn't keep the word enough in front of them. And so they were led astray. And so God's command then is different than today. I want to make sure we get that on the recording. Because back then it was go in and 
utterly annihilate them. That's not what we're saying today. Because it's a different annihilation, actually, is what it is. You know, he's, and if this ever gets taken out of context, you know, we're going to be in trouble, and that's what people do with quotes. He still says to us as Christians, go into your promised land, into your neighborhoods, where you live, and utterly annihilate them. But that means that they die to the world, and they come alive in Christ. Your goal is to help all your neighbors die to themselves and come alive in Christ. Our goal is not to let some of them stay alive in their mortal bodies and dead in their sin and go to hell. That's, that's a pretty sad goal. Our goal is to help everyone die to the flesh so they can find Christ. And I, I want to I confess, I'm not very good at reaching the goal. I, lived, I live in, in peace too often and let them, you know, they have their own beliefs and they have their own ways. And I really, I really like them and they're fun, neat people and I don't want to upset them. You know, I don't want to offend them. I mean, I really like them. I care for them. They're, they're great people. I don't want to offend them. And they might be offended if I tell them about Jesus. I don't know if you ever have those thoughts, but I do, and it's hard. But as we go into the promised land, he's saying, go in and help them find life. And you can't have life until you die. So it's the same. Don't intermarry. We're monotheistic. They're polytheistic. God was saying, be holy as I am holy. Be separate. He was writing this. Doing, this was happening so that we could understand when we live in the midst of the nations, which we do, we have to be holy as He is holy. And we can't intermarry our faiths in the sense that we can't mix our Christianity with other belief systems. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Has it been too long for you or do you remember when you got called out of darkness? If you're having a hard time, go spend some time and remember what it was like to live in darkness. He called us out into his marvelous light who once were not a people but are now the people of God who would not obtain mercy but now have obtained mercy. That is us. We are a chosen generation. We are a holy priesthood. I love the King James verse in this because it says you are a peculiar people. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And if we'll live for Christ, we'll probably be even more peculiar. If you're not a little peculiar in your life, if you have unsaved friends, and I hope you do, so that you can help them to find Christ, if they don't find you a little peculiar, 
You're not doing something right. <laughs> Pastor, we're supposed to, you know, just be able to be in with them so that they accept us. To what end? If they have never seen you be peculiar by saying no to going out to the bar, by saying no to this because God has got a different standard, then maybe there's something wrong. They should find something in us because you do that? You wake you know, some people don't even tell their friends that they go to church. Well, I just don't want to be offensive to them. Because, you know, getting up early on a Sunday morning is really peculiar. It's like, that's the day we want to sleep in. There's a lot of things God calls us to, but one of the things that he calls us to as a holy nation, a peculiar people, which is really a special people. That could be bad too, right? I'm special. <laughs> My mom always called me special. Now I know what she meant. <laughs> you know, we're a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a chosen people. That, in, in, second, in, in Peter there, when he said that, he used a lot of terms to really help us to get it. We're not like the rest, but we're special. We're, it's not a bad thing. We're a royal priesthood, a special people, a holy nation. We're called by God. And he's, we're walking in the promised land. He says, but listen, part of your job here in the promised land is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believed and his baptized will be saved. It's found in Matthew and Mark and Luke, John. We're supposed to go and take the land and possess it, help people find the light of Christ. It, in that same passage, it says we're to proclaim his praises wherever we go. And this is the the journey of the, the promise into the promised land. It's a hard one, though. It's not all easy. <coughs> the timing on this, I believe, is because as a congregation, God is calling us to be more salt and more light. He says, you'll be salt and light. You're supposed to be the light of the world, a city on a hill. He says... And you'll be persecuted for it. Has anyone tried to stand up for righteousness recently? People are getting way bold and way loud. When Corey was talking about persecution coming, you know, it, it is. And what's happening are the Christians are getting quiet. We're quieting down because we don't want to offend people. And I don't say we're supposed to purposely offend people the truth will offend people. And something I read an article just this week that I went, oh Lord, this is the church. Don't let us go this route. Did you know that in Baltimore, violent crimes are up because the police are making less arrests. They're afraid to uphold the law. So, in the city that they're saying the police are the bad guys and everyone else was innocent, 
the police have, are scared to to arrest people and wrongfully arrest possibly and make any waves. So they're actually the arrests are down, and I believe it's because they're afraid to make any waves. And violent crime is going up. Church, the church has been afraid to make any waves, and immorality has been on the rise for decades because we don't want to stand up and just say, this is the God of the Bible, and he has a hope and a purpose for you too. And I'm not going to mix it. I'm not going to say that somehow, and that I, I, we'll just even pick another one, because if, if we say in the church that, we, that homosexuality is okay, um, for a pastor or to, to marry someone, then, then a pastor can be an adulterer. The children's leader can be a swindling thief. Because when we find any, any sins about homosexuality, we find lying and gossiping and adultery and fornication. It doesn't matter. Let's put it in. Do we accept any of those? No. Why? Because the Word of God says no. We, we become a holy people called by his name we need to understand the god of the bible we can't mix it because if you're going to go ahead and mix it might as well mix it real good and come up with a whole new thing don't you can't change this you can't change who god is let us not keep doing what what we've done we've taken a back seat and said well i just don't i don't want to make waves i don't want to do this well the, the world isn't getting better but it can if we'll stand up for christ we're going to be going over the next couple of months, getting, even getting ready for our Jubilee and, and beyond. We're going to be going and praying over our neighborhoods. The, the door hangers, they were, I was hoping they'd be here. They'll probably come in tomorrow or something. But we're going to go and begin to pray for our neighborhoods. And we're going to go and looking for those opportunities maybe to witness. The first one is just going and praying. We want to become a light in the darkness. We want to let, introduce this community that we live in to Jesus Christ. But you don't have to wait for the door hanger to do it. God has a promised land that he wants us to walk into. But part of the thing is we obey him. We, we know the word. We're strong and courageous. And we understand what his purpose is for. Heavenly Father, I stand, even as I confessed. I've done, I've allowed mediocrity to come in. I've allowed my fear of offending someone or causing waves to get in the way at times of sharing faith with someone. God, you know that my heart is never to, to, to purposely be offensive to people. And I don't think that's your heart either, but God, your, your heart is to bring them to you, to save them. And sometimes we have to shake things up to help somebody see that they're lost. God, help us to be more bold. Help us to be stronger. And I know you're saying, be bold and be strong. Help us to know that you'll be with us. Help us to know that you've called us to go in and possess our possessions. That part of this possessing the possession is going into the world and sharing light and love and eternal life with our friends and our neighbors. God, help us to stand up for truth, your truth. Become a light in the darkness. 
instead of just huddling together, showing each other our, our lights. Help us to bring the light to the world. God, we can't do this on our own. We can only do it in you and with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we rely on you. And fill us, strengthen us, help us to walk and strengthen one another as we fulfill the great commission and the great commandment to go and preach and also to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yes, I think I think Julie was going to be able to help with that, and uh, and maybe Christine. Tenor, uh, pack a box, help carry something would be great. Yep.